It's a little after 10 p.m. on Tuesday night. Uh, me and Anand are ready to record another episode of the Tennis Podcast with an accent as Andy Murray takes on Kane Ishikori tomorrow in the marquee matchup. We're here now very close to the finish line, and this is an exciting time of the year. Uh, typically, this is a tournament that the best player in the world wins. I mean, Djokovic has won this um, many years straight, and before that, it was Roger Federer. And every match in itself is very intriguing because these are top players playing against each other. Uh, but for the most part, in this tournament, we haven't seen that happen. Uh, they've all been one-sided results. And Sakib, I think at some point now, we, let's talk about why it's happening so much lately. Even the last two years, we've seen a lot of one-sided matches uh, in the World Tour Finals. Um, so today, there was one good match uh, between Ravanich and Djokovic. And that was a good match in my mind because Djokovic was not in particularly good form. And that needed to happen for, uh, for this match to be close. Uh, but to Ravanich's credit... I think he kept it close. He was playing very well. Uh, Djokovic pulled it off in two tie breaks, 7-6-7-6. But I think it bodes well for Raonic going further ahead in the tournament. Uh, Novak Djokovic is a matchup made in hell for Raonic because uh, he just puts Raonic in so many awkward positions on the court. And uh, with Raonic's limited or lack of world-class movement, uh, it's just a very difficult match. And uh, you do raise an interesting point. It's not only this year. If you look at the history of this tournament for the last three, four years, a lot of the guys are coming in exhausted. Why is that? I mean, uh, I echo, this is a world-class field. This is a tennis's version of playoffs. You don't just come here. You come here by uh, basically earning your way after everyone has had a stellar year. So this is not an open invite tournament. But uh, to your point, and even most fans I see on Twitter and everywhere, people believe the tournament is losing its charm. What do you think is happening here? Yeah, several things I think are are going on. So one is you have players like Team who start the year off really strong and end up playing so much. And previously, now it is Team and before it was David Ferrer. Uh, You have these players who really log a lot of miles and then by the time they get to this point, uh, they are really exhausted. And then you have some other players, and I I will say in this case, players like uh, Djokovic, who are somewhat demotivated because they've been so focused on winning the slams. And once that part of the year is over, suddenly this part of the year doesn't seem so special for them. This is not true in the past, uh, where you had uh, people like Becker and Sampras and all these players playing um, really start their season started in the second half of the year. And I think that's why they were able to continue all the way to the end of the year. But now you're not seeing that happen. They have to play a full entire calendar starting with the Australian Open. And by the time you get to this point, I think everybody just wants a break. Uh I, I disagree about Djokovic because Djokovic has uh, won this thing, like you said, five times already. And uh, he's having an exceptional moment where he, uh, there's, there, it's apparent that there's a lack of desire or after he accomplished something that hasn't been done in the sport. But for others, uh, I agree, it's, uh, I think, complete exhaustion. Uh, and I think it's happening because uh, the surfaces have been homogenized and all the top players really advance uh, pretty much deep in every draw they enter. And it takes its toll. It's a cumulative toll. It's not just like one week or two weeks. Uh, and maybe the answer lies the ATP should go back somewhere 
and speed up some of the scores because then there could be more upsets and upsets mean uh, some players could be well rested because everybody's not playing like a full schedule like even a birdage who's not here he he goes deep he goes quarter semi then if the top guys are not there he's probably making the finals so i have a feeling these guys are tired and the surfaces being so uh, friendly for longer points and longer rallies granted this is good for youtube highlights and fans and everything but i think uh, overall the quality of tennis gets compromised yeah i mean what you say is true sakib but one of the things i mean just to play devil's advocate why is a player like chilich or why is a player like um, even today raonic why are these people more tired than djokovic and murray who have been playing all year and playing deep uh, you these these two guys don't have the kind of miles uh, actually they were they were even injured i think at some point of the year what this tells me is that they just don't see this as a tournament that they have to win like you see a grand slam uh, i just don't think they're coming in with the same kind of attitude that uh, players in the past used to do uh, i think raonic is a different story he's like a, a big player uh, physique wise and uh, he often gets injured a lot more uh, quite opposite reasons as nishikori gets injured nishikori probably is a little more fragile i mean the guy is really fit but for raonic i think he is always carrying a niggle here and there because of the big frame he carries and i would also disagree i think raonic takes himself very seriously uh and he probably is eyeing to win this tournament uh and so is chilich i'm not going to sell anyone short here but uh, i see your point that i i got the feeling from gael monfils that he was he was kind of uh, very satisfied to just make the cut again uh, not a dig at him at all i think he's had a phenomenal year but uh, even his statements about how he's rooting for murray uh, that just didn't really sit well with me and it, i think many fans because that kind of question monfi's uh, self belief in this elite field yeah i mean monfi's has always been a frustrating uh, player for any tennis fan with the amount of talent he has and the lack of drive he shows uh, to match that talent um with with raunich we're going back his results have tailed uh since Wimbledon um he lost early at the US Open he's had losses to even other head cases like uh, Dimitrov um I've always thought Ra- Harrison. and Harrison of course <laughs> yeah and and we always think Raonic is the mentally tough player uh, in that generation um even though he has his limitations he's actually been very consistent but what i've seen is actually that um he he hasn't looked as inspired lately to me uh, at least in terms of how he's played uh, now having said that he did run djokovic close today uh, i'm just hoping that that this gives him enough of a thrust to go and finish the tournament well and hopefully even make the finals uh, raonic i think is my favorite to come in this uh, ivan lendl group as a second uh, semifinalist uh, i think he's a decent record against dominic team and i see him winning that match given the indoor conditions yeah now let's talk about the the other guy i think the big elephant in the room grand slam champion wawrinka um stan the man has not showed up either for this tournament um here's another guy again i i i feel like he shows up when he shows up he's deadly but then again there are times when you just you're scratching your head wondering why he's not playing so well again now he's got a very favorable head to head against chilich um but at the same time you have to think if his heart is in there to win that match uh, i i think wawrinka is is pretty clear he's not your best of three format kind of a guy and if you look at his last three world tour finals he's uh, the only guy besides uh, federer and djokovic who's made the semis so i expect him i expected him to lose one match against nishikori but this time 
this uh, group is kind of the group of death with Murray playing the tennis of his life and then there is the Chilich matchup by the way Chilich is on a four match losing streak at the world tour final so tomorrow's match uh, is really desperate grounds for both uh, Chilich and Stan uh, well four match l- losing streak there and a six match losing tr- streak to Wawrinka all right so let's uh, make it weird math is 10 match losing streak riding on tomorrow after tomorrow night's match uh, I, I see Stan winning that match somehow, but uh, I think Stan's not going to make the semis because Andy Murray is going to win the pool without uh, without losing a match. I'm making a prediction right here. Yeah, no, I would agree. Uh, but, but, but the one interesting thing here we could talk about is the guy who's actually playing well outside uh, Andy Murray is Nishikori. Uh, he's the one guy who's actually surprisingly showed up uh, in this tournament. But I think if the courts are playing faster, as as I hear they are, uh, I think he has a bit of an advantage. Uh, so he, he might be the underdog here who, who might actually... I actually think he might come and win this whole thing. Uh, and this could be this could be that breakthrough. Oh, come on. You stole my thunder. That was my guy. So <laughs> I was going to call this uh, if we had done the podcast a couple of days ago. But yeah. Uh, I don't know if the code is fast because Murray is the one who started this. And now he said uh, when the stadium is uh, full... Uh, Maybe the humidity is causing the balls to be heavy again. It's it's not as fast. But to your point, yeah, this court has is one of the low lowest bouncing courts, and this is probably advantage Nishikori, and he's already had a good win against Stan. So tomorrow's match is uh, is going to decide who. I think both these guys will make the semis. Uh, well, I, don't you think Andy Murray is going to go after Nishikori after that loss at the U.S. Open? It's going to be really exciting, I think. Yeah, I mean, Murray uh, at the U.S. Open, that seems like as good as K play. That seemed like a freak loss. He had a lapse of concentration there. But uh, for K fans like myself, this is the only court in the world besides Flushing where Nishikori has beaten Murray. So all is not lost for K, but I'm still picking Andy in two tight sets tomorrow. So prediction time, Saqib. Let's call each one of the matches starting tomorrow. Uh, Like I've already said, uh, I see Andy winning the group. And... uh, I also see Stan uh, beating Chilich again in a close match. And then I predict Andy and Kay to come out of uh, the McIndoe group and uh, Djokovic and uh, Raonic to come out of uh, the Lendl group as one and two. I think my, my predictions actually sadly are not any different than yours. Um, but having said that, I think Stan is going to win easily. Um, I just see Chilich fading away at this point and Stan stepping up. And I'll take this. I'll take this one step further and say that K is going to win this whole thing. Um, first, Djokovic is not playing that well. Uh, he struggled against Raonic, and I think K will beat him this time. Even though he's not, he's only beaten him a couple of times before. This is his chance again. Um, and Andy, I think uh, you know he'll have a tough match against Raonic. He's going to show up for that final. Um, I just don't see him beating K twice in a row the way K is uh, playing right now. And uh, so my pick is K. Uh, K definitely was one uh, one of my outside picks besides uh, Murray and Djokovic. And I believe the semifinal between K and Djokovic, uh, the winner is going to come out of that one. I think Murray, I think he has peaked. And uh, like you said, uh, it's it's a tough uh, it's a tough contest to beat the, this kind of opposition twice in a span of four or five days. So whoever loses tomorrow will have a big advantage if these guys were to make were to meet again in the finals. Advantage K, yeah. Speaking of these matches, Sakib, I, I want to I do want to do a blast from the past. 
uh, what what was your favorite match uh, from the past at the same tournament? Has to be more than one because the field has been so elite. Uh, one of my favorite matches is the '92 uh, semifinals between Becker and Ivanisevic. That was seven six, I think nine seven in the tiebreak. And uh, those days it was serve and volley, and Goran Ivanisevic's serve was I think one of the uh, biggest shots in men's game. And Becker just found a way, you know, the diving volleys and uh, clutch holes and just some chip returns. So that match was pretty special. And uh, then again, I want to also do a, a mention of the Becker-Sampras 96 match. It's not my favorite match for the ending, but I think, to me, it's still the greatest indoor match ever. Arguably two of the greatest indoor tennis players ever, right? Uh, definitely, They, they yeah. would match up against, um, I would say, Roger and, uh, and Djokovic. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I still have the old Becker racket. It's just uh, amazing how he could produce that kind of power. And this is, again, before the polyester strings. Uh, what a physical freak he was. Uh, you give him this racket and these uh, these strings, uh, I think he'll be clocking 140. And and he wouldn't double fall like some of these guys when it mattered. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sakib, since you, you remember these matches well, tell us why uh, Becker, I mean, clearly was the inferior player to Sampras on grass. But why was he so competitive indoors? Some of it was there, there are no elements. And he would just muscle the ball. He would just block uh, the big Sampras, even each of serve in tie breaks or like uh, when it got to deuce. So, th- and the other reason was uh, he was always inspired when he was playing in Germany. And those uh, in those years, uh, Germany had a big presence in the fall season. They had Stuttgart indoors, which was a lead-up. And then uh, the Masters, or this uh, year in championships, as it was called, was played in Frankfurt and Hanover for almost a decade. So that was Becker's house. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I also agree. I, the, the one thing I will say, my regret is I did not get to watch a lot of these matches live. Um, because I was in India, but then I came here, and one of the, one of the blessings of YouTube is that you can go back and find these matches and watch them again. Uh, my favorite match, uh, Sakib, was 2010 finals, uh, Roger against Rafa. Uh, I was in India at that time, and completely expecting Roger to lose because he was again on another losing streak against Rafa. But he comes out, and if you remember, this was when he used to keep slicing his returns. Something snapped in Roger, and he starts hitting that backhand every time, and he wins that first set six three. and And I'm thinking, I have a slight flicker of hope. I'm like, okay, this is a good day for us. And then what happens? The usual, Rafa comes back and wins the second set, and I'm like, oh no, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, and then Roger really, I think, played one of the best sets of his life against Rafa, uh, crushed him six one in that third set. Hey, Anand, we would love to have, if this podcast were to take off, like a, a fan or a people who follow us segment and use their questions. But there are a few loyalists who have been uh, inspiring us to keep going, and Amit is one of them. And he uh, pointed out that in last week's discussion uh, over for Murray's uh, number one ranking, we conveniently forgot the mention of one Ivan Lendl. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a great question from Amit. Uh, I personally think that Lendl doesn't deserve credit this time around. Uh, Lendl had a huge impact on Andy Murray uh, the first time uh, when he got uh, won a couple of slams. But this time, I have to say Lendl got lucky, Sakib. Um, Andy Murray signed on with uh, Ivan, uh, uh, Ivan right after the French Open, and he won Wimbledon within a few weeks. 
I I seriously doubt that any coach could come in and change uh, a person's fortune so much that they would go on and win a slam. Uh, things worked out for Andy Murray, as I've already said in a previous podcast. Uh, the fact that he hasn't played Djokovic in a slam, uh, for instance. And um, so I, I think it was a bit of a combination of uh, circumstances and luck that, um, you know, Andy Andy had the kind of success that he had. Um, it's good that Lendl was there, to be on his side, probably gave him some confidence. But I just don't think anything fundamentally changed about his game or his training that would have made him a champ. Uh, I kind of agree uh, in what you said, because in this, what... Uh the important part that gets lost is uh, Jamie Delgado, the hard work he's put in. And you're right, he put Murray in those positions when they were chasing Djokovic. And it seemed Im- impossible that Murray would be in this position. But uh, we can do, we can talk coaches because it's a kind of a broad topic. But I would uh, uh, like to add that Lendl and Murray is an exceptional relationship. Even though you're right, uh, Lendl is instrumental in making Murray the champion in the first coming when they partnered in 2012. But this is more like a more than a coach and student relationship because uh, Murray somehow I think uh, connects more with Lendl and uh, Lendl went through this he was a fourth wheel of his generation when Connors, uh, Borg and McEnroe were beating him up and Lendl's peak really didn't coincide with their peak so similarly I think there's a connection there uh, more deeper than Becker Djokovic or Federer Edberg I think uh, I'm with you that Lendl shouldn't get all the credit but Lendl is that X factor because let's face it without uh, Lendl, there is no slam. Delgado did all the hard work, but Lendl is there part of all, all three slams that Andy Murray has won. Yeah, I think you could make a case that it's not a coincidence um, that Lendl came on board and Andy Murray becomes world number one. Uh, the last time Lendl came on board, uh, Andy Murray won two grand slams. Uh, so, I mean, these things probably are not a coincidence. For me still, I'll say uh, the coach of the year has to be Magnus Norman. Um I think he's the one guy who's truly had an impact on a player and his performance this year. Um, Lendl, on the other hand, I will say maybe some marginal impact on Andy Murray's game. To conclude today's episode and uh, hopefully record one soon right after uh, the championships are over. Uh, I wish Anand all the best for safe travels to India and next podcast most probably would be on phone and if I can get hold then I'll bore you guys with a solo thank you guys and I have to say let's go K Nishikori bye now